I'm Lucas Mack, and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. Today, I have an incredible guest, Evan Thompson from E. Roche Foucault, who is a philosopher, humanitarian, and podcaster. Please welcome Evan Thompson. Evan, I really appreciate you joining the Golden Rule Revolution today. How are you? I'm great, and I really appreciate the invitation. So tell me, how how did you first get started in your podcast and your your whole method of communication? Well, um, <laughs> that's definitely an interesting story. Um, it started pretty clearly in a way, largely through a lot of encouragement from my wife and a few friends of mine. Uh, that kept encouraging me that I needed to speak and I needed to speak publicly. Um, so I spent a lot of time developing the work that I wanted to do, but it was largely in response to a combination of <laughs> a decline, I guess, in effective political discourse within American politics matched with what I felt was, I guess, a growing divide between uh, academic elitism um, without utility and then a, while at the same time, a rejection of academia uh, from other parts of the country. So again, just increasing divisions along political, intellectual lines, I suppose, cultural lines. And I've been a type of person who's found myself in the middle everywhere. Um, kind of like a constant, uh, maybe fish out of water, but I guess maybe the a better analogy would be, if I'm in a room full of conservatives, they all think I'm a complete liberal. If I'm in a room full of liberals, they all think I'm a conservative, something like that. <laughs> and I guess that would be because I'm born and raised in the Midwest from Iowa. Um, but I was very much interested in academia, um, ideas, while at the same time I grew up in a military household, an athletic household. So I was raised in that environment as well. And I very much enjoyed that stuff. I didn't rebel against it. I myself joined the army while going to school. Um, and so I pursued multiple routes at the same time. And I found value and utility in all of them, not simply saying, here's one tool and that's all I'm going to use. It's like, no, there's this broad set of tools because we have a divergent and complex and constantly differentiating world. And so, well, that's kind of the example of who I am and what I was responding to. And I guess the Eros Foucault idea Again, that's taken from the philosopher Francois de la Rochefoucauld, a French philosopher. And I think you'll see what I'm doing if you were to look at his philosophies. But there was two main things that he did in France. One, and this is from the 17th century. One, he was responding to a modern, um, progressing environment that was becoming more advanced and more busy. And so he had to contain and evolve his philosophy to fit the times because the times they were changing and changing fast in 17th century France. So his philosophy was fit to the environment. So it was quick. It was pithy. It was within the salons. It was spoken or it was written in short sentences. And I'm like, well, that sounds like Twitter and that sounds like YouTube and that sounds like a podcast for today, or that would be the example. But then the other thing is he was tired of the long droning, overly technical, non-human, non-human centered philosophies from people a hundred years before him that everybody was reading in the day. And he thought they lacked utility in the modern era. 
So I feel like I'm trying to revive that spirit. So there's, I suppose, an effective enough introduction. That's beautiful. So from your perspective, Evan, what what is most needed right now in our social discourse, specifically in, in the United States? An honest effort at balance. And 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 not a and and I mean that. I mean emphasis on honest. So I think there's a lot of false narratives around seeking some type of balance or dialogue, right? It's almost um it's it's almost cheesy, right? We need to reach across the aisle. It's and, and, and that's part of the problem. You know, it's because these phrases have been so overused, so dr- just drug through the mud in a way, um, where no real feeling of change has occurred. Um, while at the same time beneath that has been some of the ugliest political and social um uh fractioning that has been occurring over the last few years at the same time that's been happening. And so arguing superficially for let's just get along and let's have everything be fine. It, 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 it's almost uh, not, not only dishonest, but just, you know, fundamentally lacks the ability to recognize what anybody anywhere is saying. And so I, but I'm, this is kind of an idea I'm borrowing from the from a modern philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, where he says, sometimes the only way to reform the good things within the orthodoxy is through radical heresy. <laughs> and, I, and I quite <laughs> like that idea. Right now, it feels like we're in radical heresy. You know, just com- we're treating one another so poorly, uh, where yes. it honestly feels like you know that that there needs to be a a test for you to walk into a restaurant or <laughs> read a newspaper on what your political affiliation is or yes. and that fundamentally gets down to the basic most basic roots of how we treat one another how we treat the neighbor for example you know it's the denial of that as a basic premise of how a society ought to first function i'm not saying civility in in name and name alone i'm saying effective um, effective discourse that fundamentally recognizes that we have to work together in a society as its first principle. And I think that comes, that will happen when people truly, when all of us truly start loving people for the sake that they are people. I, um, I spoke with a client at Microsoft last year and i was telling her about this leadership training i went through and just the power of unconditional love and having that and experiencing freedom and i said this world just needs more people to love people and she she was listening to me we're having a nice conversation and out of nowhere she said yeah except for donald trump and i literally could not believe i i was talking about loving all people and not putting labels on people. And here she throws out Donald Trump. And I looked at her in the eye and I said, you know what? Someone just hasn't loved him enough. Some, I don't know who is capable in her worldview of what she views him. And I don't think we view him the same. But regardless, someone just hasn't loved that man enough. He's still a man to even speak of anything less than that is quite frankly dangerous because who's next that we start 
saying is not worthy or not capable of redemption or not able to receive love. And that I think is one of the things you're talking about is this, this heresy of just humanity. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, I don't know about, um, uh, I, I don't know if I would necessarily fully accept, uh, all of the things you said about the current president of the United States. However, um, when, when I think about it, I think about it from the perspective of, uh, he's not an individual necessarily. Um, he is a representative of 68 million people. Mm. And so, um, while I'm someone who, well, this is something I say quite regularly. Um, it's a quote from John Wayne, who uh, is an actor who I don't like, <laughs> which might make me very unpopular <laughs> here very soon. But I, I don't like him as an actor, but he said one thing that I really do like. And he said, they asked him about President Kennedy when Kennedy was elected. And John Wayne was a known um, Republican. He was publicly Republican. Kennedy was elected. And they went up to John Wayne and they asked him, Mr. Wayne, Mr. Wayne, what do you think about President Kennedy? What do you think about the election? And he said, well, I didn't vote for him, but I hope he does a good job. And that's what I have been preaching. <laughs> I, I didn't vote for the current president, but I hope he does a good job. And yes. good things can happen under people that I disagree with. Good things can happen in spite of uh, bad things, bad character flaws within a president. There's several different modalities of leadership that are required within a nation state, particularly the United States. Um, I know I'm definitely drifting into a lot, several other um, competing political ideas when we talk about our value structure for what are the qualities necessary within um, national level leadership. But fundamentally, I want to get to the principle of, I didn't vote for him, but I hope he does a good job because I'm not just talking about one individual or one administration. I'm talking about 68 million voters that put their faith in someone who's now sitting in the White House and ultimately, someone who's sitting in the White House who is making decisions that impact quite directly the lives of over 320 million Americans, and to a certain extent, has the, has the possibility or the potential of impacting all of humanity. And that's yeah. relevant. And so, I mean, we can get into specifics there on policy issues, but I think generally that that, that is a again, an axiomatic approach that I want to take with respect to where we begin to talk about politics. One thing I've, one of the podcasts I've done, actually, the purpose of the podcast was for me to talk to a Trump supporter. And we had a civil political argument for an hour and a half. It went quite well. It was, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and one thing I found within that is that Funnily enough, I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, and I, maybe that's not nice, but <laughs> but funnily enough, I was able to have a really effective conversation with someone who I had a lot of political disagreement with, but because I started from the perspective of you are an intelligent, serious human being who has values and who made an important decision, and I respect that and I respect you, and I'm trying to understand you, because I started from that premise, we were actually able to have a dialogue. And so when I see a lot of people, again, within any political spectrum talk, what I hear them saying continually is, you on the other side, which would, it's, it is commonly, in my, in my estimation, it is commonly the left within America, because that's the cultural powerhouse, right? The uh, the cultural domination within America is not the right. It's the left, yeah. right? Which is to say 
um, finance industry, Silicon Valley, um, most of the people that work in DC, for example, you know, um, Hollywood, uh, that, that, that is left production. So what I hear and what I authentically see many people on the right saying again, because right, I was in the military. I grew up in Iowa. A good percentage of my family are Trump supporters and Trump voters. Like I, (laughs) I value having good relationships with them. Um, and I think I can solve problems better by being cooperative <laughs> with other people rather totally. than simply deriding their political choices all the time. But what I hear them saying, and I've talked to so many of them, and I'm family members with many of them, and I've worked with many of them, is saying at people that are largely within my group or my political bubble, I suppose, at times, is they're saying, you don't at all understand what my problems are, what my needs are, or what my values are. So that's, I think, uh, that's my feelings on the issue. So a lack of understanding leads to that divide. And I think, um, I think one of the things that needs to happen for every human being on planet earth, not just in the United States, but truly every human being on planet earth is a acknowledgement is an acknowledgement that, that every person on planet earth has the same value as every person on planet earth. My oldest, our oldest daughter uh, is six years old. And a couple months ago, we had to give teach her, we had to teach her that when you roll your eyes at us specifically as as her parents, (laughs) when she rolls her eyes at us, what she's saying is your value as a human being completely matters not. That nothing that you say is of value to me. When people roll their eyes, it's it's the reducing the person in front of them to the basis of nature. It's it's no longer are you a valid um, mind, heart, soul. And this is what we taught our daughter. And I believe truly this is what's happening in society. Someone has an opinion, and everyone rolls their eyes metaphorically speaking, everyone's like, okay, you don't matter. Let me tell you. And then it's this back and forth where at the end of the day, all we're left with is more hurt people that are continuing to hurt people instead of hurt people who are given permission to heal. And by that healing, understand that any hurt person can be healed. Therefore, all hurt people should be healed. And who don't want to solve problems together anymore. And who are mm. and who are now structurally and emotionally disincentivized from linking arms together and saying, let's go forward collectively to some extent into the unknown future, which is what we're mm. supposed to be doing to a certain extent. That that like we have really big problems to solve in the world. You know, th- there's there's over one billion people that live in absolute destitute poverty. That that matters. Like yes. there's and I hear a lot of people proposing quite brilliant solutions there and many of them scream them and call anyone who disagrees with them or who could possibly oppose from the beginning or who needs more information or who doesn't understand or who might actually lose in some way because of this. They're unilaterally opposed to them. Hmm. And so it's like, yes, we, ha- we do have different value structures at times and that's quite messy and it's quite complicated. but. It's also quite beautiful. It's also, it's also the beauty of humanity. 
Yeah, well, we all have left and right hands. Vari and right variation feet. creates creates the new. Uh, yes. It allows us to refresh. Yes. I really like what you said when we talked the other day. Um, explain what you said regarding uh, liberals and conservatives and uh, what they say and why they're both needed. Yeah. So this is, um, this is something I've been trying. I don't know if I've been able to argue very effectively. I don't know, but I've, I've tried to make this case a few times and hopefully it's coherent and it makes sense, or at least this is my honest thinking, I, I suppose. It's my best thinking. But when I look at liberalism and conservatism, I see this huge storehouse of really good ideas on, on both sides, equally valuable, equally important, equally necessary to society in the long run. Um, with, from moment to moment, there's variation and variability generally on the principle of, okay, what are we missing? What's quite, you know, how do we, uh, again, I look at, I look at the world as like, again, we're like on a ship and it's kind of rocking back and forth and we need to kind of keep it steady and balanced. It's something like that. And, and it's liberalism and conservatism, politically speaking, within their political philosophy that keeps that ship balanced and it needs to be. And so there's many ways to put this. We can put this on the institutional level, you know, how many liberals and conservatives do you need in an organization? How many do you need in a state? How many do you need in a country? And so on and so forth. And it's generally balanced. And the reason why is because liberalism fundamentally is chaos and conservatism fundamentally is order. Liberalism fundamentally within its archetype is the new, is future, is where we can go and what is possible. And conservatism fundamentally within its archetype is the old, is the tradition, is where we have been and how things are. And I'm not going to get into a debate about which of those is more important from the perspective mm. of value or from some, some truth statement. Now, there may be instances, and this is something I do all the time. This is actually kind of a military leadership philosophy that I believe I've adopted is that the fundamental tenet of, 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 of leadership at the military is know your operational environment and respond to it. And so that's to say what I've been trained to do is go into a room, what's missing? Okay, I'm going to advocate for what's missing. That's fundamentally what I do, which is why I end up, if I'm in a room full of liberals, I'm a conservative. <laughs> if I'm in a room full of conservatives, <laughs> I become a liberal because they're both really, really, really good ideas because we need to know where we're going and what's possible and how we could get there. And we need to know where we've been and how things are and what the current reality on the ground is. These are both of equal merit. Um, I, there was an analogy I used the other day that uh, somebody, I was speaking with them and this resonated with them. And it was, if it weren't for liberals, we would have never imagined life outside the cave. And if it weren't for conservatives, we would have never been able to build a sustainable life outside the cave for longer than a week. And so mm. those are, which of those is more important? Uh, they're both equally important. Now, for some people, I guess I'm this weird <laughs> middle ground person, or perhaps uh, maybe you've heard this idea before, but oftentimes this, the reality presents itself to you as black and white, and you have to find a way to be gray within that reality. Just that's right. To steal your own terminology. <laughs> yes, that's good. <laughs> but obviously some people, where do they fall? So how, what is a conservative and what is a liberal? You know, it's not, 
one are bad guys that want to oppress this group of people and others are people that are terrible and have no sense of reality. No, that's not, that's not what's going on here is that these are personality traits. They're also kind of based within skills, competencies. Um, We now kind of get into economics here a little bit too, but it's like, no, these are real people with real principles that have value and utility. And so then it's a question of how do we go about talking about these principles, teaching them, manifesting them positively in society. And it's like, let's uplift the great parts of them and condemn or suppress or guard against the negative elements of them. The negative element of liberalism is completely being like absolutely detached from fact. Just like totally, again, nothing is nothing. There is no truth. There is no reality. There, the, mm. Quality doesn't exist. And we see this. We see that there are some people on the very far left that seem to reject the idea of truth, for example. They mm. reject the idea of talent, of goodness, of ability, or something like that. And then at the same time, what, what are the risks and dangers of conservatism? The complete inability to change the complete inability to loosen up, the complete inability to imagine something different or to, to allow a structure to evolve or to grow or to adapt. And so again, these are both, <laughs> there's great things about them and terrible things about them. And That's right. another great example would be if, if liberals were in charge, all the buildings would fall apart because nobody would be operating them. And if conservatives were in charge, nothing would ever change, adapt, or evolve, and the world would eventually swallow it up and decay. So again, like they, they complement each other. They're extremely effective. Yes. And so it's like, if you're a strongly conservative person, you need to go like link arm in arms with the liberal and start a business with them. You're going to work great. One of you is going to come up with these great new ideas, and one of you is going to be able to like put them into practice or be really mm. diligent with them, just as an example. Whereas right now we're getting into these bubbles and camps where only conservatives hang out and they run these businesses really well for a long time, but they never adapt. And then only liberals hang out and they innovate, 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 but it's just an app and there's no staying power and it doesn't benefit people over the long term because nobody figures mm. out how to make it scalable for all society. It's like, well, that is a terrible outcome and it's been manifest because we cannot allow <laughs> seemingly the idea, the political idea that I'm talking about, because we're not allowed to talk about, Hey, good things about liberals, good things about conservatives. It's everybody is either Trump or hashtag resistance. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that is what this podcast specifically is what I'm setting out to, to eliminate. Um, I've, I've told you this on the phone. Um, but one of my, best friends is a rabbi here in Seattle. And he asked me one time, he said, have you ever seen a bird fly with one wing? I've never been asked that question. I sat there and thought, Oh, that's fascinating. No, I have not. He said, exactly. It takes both wings to create tension. And that tension creates the lift. Both are necessary. And it's, we are living in the society which says, or, and it's truly, and it's not, either or it's and it's both it's we need both i 
need my head, I also need my heart. I need my arms, I also need my legs. And this reducing society because we're reducing individuals as no longer valid or worthy of being part of one's worldview, it's truly dangerous because it simply goes to he who has the most power will then dictate who is and who is not worthy to be in that society eventually. And so what I want to do is stop that now before it's too little too late and say, hey, everyone, let's love the fact that we are alive, that we have breath in our lungs, and let's stand for that breath in all humanity. For the moment we don't, at some point, we won't stand for our own breath. What do you think of that? Um, I, I would agree with it. And it actually made me think of two interesting analogies that you'd possibly accept. Um, either or is a question of doing. You either do this or that. But this and that is a question of being. You are this and that. And so mm, the, um, beautiful. the philosophical example would be quite literally verbatim, either or is a book by the existentialist philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And it's about, and the fundamental core of that book is saying, what I really need to understand is not what I know, but what I must do. Insofar as knowledge must precede every action. Oh man, I, I, that was from memory. God, I got it. Um, but that, <laughs> but that is fundamentally what, um, what the, the principle of existentialist philosophy from Kierkegaard is about. That, yep, I need to know things and that's important, but eventually I must do. What do I do? It is either or. At some level, you must make a choice. And anything, this is again a fundamental principle of living and being is that, or doing, do, doing stuff in the world is that if you're doing this, you're not doing that, period. No, no exception. Mm. Like you, you can never get around that. While at the same time, to now go back to reflect inwardly into the inward reality, um, you are this and that. And so now I'm going to take from Nietzsche. Nietzsche would say, our life is or is experienced as both Dionysus and Apollo. We are at one time both a Dionysian unfolding of reality, which is to say the sensual, the emotional, the poetic, and an Apollonian unfolding of reality, which is to say the analytical, the logical, the somewhat objective, kind of a subjective objective, right? And mm -hmm. so another way to put that within, again, very basic modern terms would be we are at one time both subject and object. We experience things subjectively and we experience them objectively. And we can never reconcile that. This is a permanent condition of life that we have to understand. And you can either avoid it. You can treat it as either or. No, I'm only objective. It's all fact. It's all science for me. And then it's like, well, okay, you're, you're losing this entire half of your being because you're both Dionysus and Apollo, says Nietzsche. Or on the complete flip side, no, it's all subjective. It's all my truth. It's all my belief, my faith. It's like, well, okay, you, that's also true. You do experience things as such, but now you're completely eliminating the entire objective reality in front of you. And once again, you violated the Dionysian and Apollonian tradition as proposed by mm -hmm. Nietzsche. And I think that that's fundamentally true. So we have to combine these two philosophies at once to make this weird quadrant where we're making choices 
about life that we have to be held account for. And there's regret down both paths because you have to choose one. And if you do one, you don't do the other. And we experience all of life as both Dionysus and Apollo, as both object and subject continually. And these are irreconcilable um, ex um, individual experiences. Hmm. That is so important to understand. And I, I hope you listening, I know um, a lot of these ideas are probably the first time you've ever heard them. But what Evan just said is so important for all of us to understand. And an example that I've read to explain um, in a different way, what Evan just said is the concept of justice. We could look at justice as a, an objective truth and say, wherever you are in the world, we must see what justice looks like and apply ourselves to the ultimate justice. There's another philosophy that says, no, how justice is applied between two people is dependent upon those two people. And there was a philosophical debate on universal truth versus subjective truth. And the split happened. But truly, if we kept both in context of there is an objective justice and I must be aware of one before I apply the subject of justice upon another, when both of those are kept in check, I truly think we don't go around as vigilantes and start doing our own thing. And I think I talk about this quite often is when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments in stone, it wasn't mind-blowing to hear the concept of don't kill another person or honor your parents. Don't steal. Don't envy. Don't do these things. Those weren't mind-blowing concepts. Everyone accepted that. What was which what was radical is the concept of thou using the old English, but thou shalt not kill. The law establishes order and thou as an individual are not the universal arbitrator of all things humanity. And it kept in check a universal and the subjective personal. What do you think of that? I think I'm going to have to think about that for actually one second. <laughs> I mean, for instance, my, one of my best friends is a medically retired Navy SEAL. He was, he was a Navy SEAL for 10 years. And we talked about this. He said, you know, the Bible says don't kill. I said, no, what the Bible says is thou shall not kill. You as an individual oh. are not an arbitrator, but you didn't start the war. You didn't go in and you're not an assassin. You're not a, a murderer, a mass murderer. You are a essentially warrior within the confines of a greater army that goes and has a mission. So there is a universal above you. If you just went out and started killing people, yeah, that's wrong. And he, he thought about that. I mean, uh, there is a difference between no, thou I understand. And, uh, yeah, that when you when yeah. you uh, when you said it in that way, actually, uh, it, that it made the emphasis on the thou. That's what I wasn't taking that at first, but that's actually quite a. That's actually quite interesting, and that is a. 
a, a, a clever wordplay in the, in the evolution of, of legal theory. <laughs> I, I suppose at least a, a clever wordplay in the evolution of legal theory um, with respect to um, a group of people wandering around in the, in Sumeria. Mm. Um, in, you know, several hundreds BC. It's fascinating. I think, and I, I guess bringing it back to what you were saying, it's the duality is so important. We need, we need both. And that both keeps us in check. It keeps us civil. It keeps us humble. I, um, I'm going to really bring in some modern culture, uh, into this, this, uh, conversation. Go for it. I, the past five nights, I have watched a Rocky movie. Rocky one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Past five nights in a row. Rocky one, which won an Academy Award for Best Picture. There's a scene I started crying, and I've watched that movie hundreds of times. Hundreds. I, I've watched that movie so much I can close my eyes and I can mouth the lines. I mean, I love the Rocky series. But uh, the scene that really got me um, was from Rocky one when Rocky gets the opportunity to fight Apollo Creed, he's chosen and Rocky, you know, before he was chosen, he lost his locker. Mick wouldn't help him. He's trying to get Mick to acknowledge him and give him some support and coach him. And Mick calls him a bum. Rocky gets hurt. He goes home. And a few scenes later, Mick arrives to Rocky's apartment and tells Rocky that he wants to coach him, that he he wants to help him, that he can't do it alone. And Rocky gets incredibly offended and hurt. Those hurt feelings came out and he became angry at Mick. Where were you 10 years ago? You never gave me a chance. I came to you. You never helped. And Mick said, you're right. I, I you know, he mumbled some, some words that only that actor could do, but he, he acknowledged, you're right. I messed up. I, I still want to help you. And Rocky got angry, basically told him to get out of here. You don't like this place. It stinks. You've never been here before. That's right. It stinks. So Mick leaves, he walks down the stairs and he walks down the street. And there's this scene where Rocky continues to yell and he's angry. And then he has this moment that he humbles himself. He, he completely detaches from his personal hurt, sees the greater picture, humbles himself in light of that greater picture, goes down the stairs, runs down the street and goes and hugs Mick and asks Mick to train him. And that to me is one of the most beautiful pictures of what is needed in humanity. The humility in light of the greater picture leads to a beautiful relationship with another that we may not at prior moments have relatable experiences with. But if we're humble and we say, why would I ever indict another when I myself am indictable as well? And then we can be civil and then we can discourse and then we can dialogue and then we can truly love that that movie completely rocked me and for Rocky rocked me. Uh, but in in all seriousness, it is, I think, what we're talking about in um, a played out scene uh, in a movie. 
I accept all of that. I have one addition in, into what I was thinking about in terms of a corresponding secondary or related value that's happening in that scene. It's not just the humbling to the greater idea. It's the recognizing of, wait a minute, what's the actual goal here? What do I want? Mm, do I want to be yes. angry and right? Because we can be endlessly justified in our anger. We can yes. ever justify. There's always, Lucas, there will always be something wrong with you to me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's something that I will be doing wrong to another part of my psychology, always. There's something that my mm. wife will be doing so that good. isn't perfect in my eyes permanently. What mm. is my goal? Is my goal to be internally justifying anger continually? Or is it something higher, something better, some, you know, mm. a generalized vision for a more productive future where I have less suffering and there's less suffering around me and there's, and I'm more productive and competent and ethical. And by doing so, things around me transform to be more competent, productive and ethical something like that. Uh, you know, again, I, I might be able to come up with something better if I sat around thinking about it for a few years. But once again, Kierkegaard, I, it's not just about what I want to know. It's about what I must do. That's something I must do. And learning is not just thinking and reading. It's acting and being and doing and talking and listening and going outside and talking to people and not simply sitting in your micro apartment in a metropolitan area and ordering your food on Amazon and <laughs> like... Right. And isolating yourself. And, yeah. And, and, ice, and cutting yourself yeah. off from the world. Yeah. But, um, but that, again, that higher goal, what was the goal there? And so we went out saying, wait a minute, no, my goal isn't to be angry and justify internal malice and, and, and my internal indignation at the audacity of someone else for making a mistake. My goal is to succeed in this mission in life. That's much nicer. Everybody won because of that. Hmm. Except, except for maybe a handful of other boxers, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be fair. That's true. To be fair. That's true. It's, um, it's so good talking with you. And I, 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 how do people find you, Evan? Where, where can you be found? Where can people follow you? Um, because I, I want everyone listening to understand, I think what Evan is doing is incredibly important. And please go find him at... Evan, where can people find you? Yep. So I'm on all social media, of course, but my website is erochefuco.org. Now, unfortunately, I made the terrible decision of picking a clever name and not necessarily the most useful name right out of the gates, because if you search that, it's going to tell you, did you mean La Rochefoucauld? So hopefully someday, I guess it would be an interesting achievement for me to be, to take the mantle of La Rochefoucauld in terms of, you know, what Google thinks is right. But, um, but you can also find me at evanthompson.com. Um, and then of course I'm on Instagram, Twitter, um, iTunes is my podcast. YouTube is my podcast and videos. I, I have a lot of content out there. So, and Hey, uh, talk to me, send me an email, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I, I encourage everyone to, to follow Evan and, and watch what he's doing, listen to what he's saying it's really important right now that we come together as people and stand for life and stand for civility and stand for humanity. And I think this podcast, this specific episode is a great example 
of that. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name is Lucas Mack, and this has been the Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I ask you to download this podcast, to like it, to share it, to send it to friends, to comment. And you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on lucasmack.com, on Facebook, on Twitter. Share this content because narrative influences culture. I'm Lucas Mack, and this has been the Golden Rule Revolution, and I look forward to talking with you on the next episode. Oh,